Everybody, welcome to this episode of Mic Drop. This is a discussion on the politics of the pandemic, how the 2020 presidential election was shaped by COVID-19, and what that could mean heading into the 2022 midterms. I am joined by a good social media friend, Dr. Jorge Caballero, um, known to me as the data-driven MD, um, who I came to know during the pandemic, watching um, his Twitter feed, which, of course, data being uh, what I live for, seeing a, a Latino physician who is also numbers-driven in, in a field I would argue is, is much more important than the work that I do, um, but what began to start explaining really clearly what was happening um, with uh, the coronavirus as it was more novel at the time. I don't know if that's a scientific term or not, doctor, <laughs> but it was, yeah. it was certainly newer newer to us, um, watching your work unfold in real time and then overlaying that with, with political opinion and where some of these movements were happening was just absolutely fascinating to me, completely eye-opening. And I asked you today to come join us because this pandemic is not over. And what I wanted to do was get a sense of that, where things are heading, um, and perhaps most importantly uh, for this audience is talk about what the interaction between public opinion, political behavior is, and um, and what we're seeing with the COVID nineteen virus. So, um, yeah, without absolutely. further ado, just go ahead and jump in and dazzle us with some of your magic. Well, uh, first of all, thank you very much for for having me. This is, uh, as you mentioned, this is the first time that you and I actually get to interact, um, you know, in in real time uh, in a synchronous way, I suppose. Um, so it's always you know it's always fun, especially as you know, as the pandemic sort of uh, slowly starts to um, to, to fade, um, hopefully into the background for you know for good. Uh, you know, it's nice to 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 connect with folks that um, that I got to know over the pandemic. Um, maybe I can just start off by sharing a little bit more about myself. So, I'm uh, a health data scientist by you know by trade, but I'm also uh, a board certified anesthesiologist. I've uh, I've been doing information security research for for over two decades. Um, and I focus a lot on health policy and, and, and the intersection of all of these things that I've been um, you know I've been doing for a few for a few decades. Uh, in the early part of the pandemic, back in March 2020, I co-founded a grassroots volunteer organization called Quitters Against COVID that uh, set out to pretty much solve the problem that uh, that uh, that uh, Trump promised that Google would fix, which is to to come up with a national directory of COVID-19 testing sites. Uh, as you may recall, there was this 24-hour period where uh, Trump said that Google was on it, and then Google turned right around and said, no, we're not. <laughs> and so I uh, I joined forces with uh, with someone I, I met online, and we put together a ragtag team of engineers and software developers to, you know, to, to solve that problem. Uh, we were very quickly uh, sort of brought into the fold by FEMA and our work ended up getting, uh, you know, sort of getting picked up by FEMA, HHS, and then, um, and then by several states, including California, Texas, and, um, and, um, and several uh, com uh, county level um public health agencies as well. Uh, that's, you know, how I ended up uh, focusing on, on COVID-19 data specifically. Uh, and as we headed into the 2020 elections, uh, it was pretty clear to me that, uh, I mean, just to sort of put my own biases out there, uh, it was pretty clear to me that we needed a, you know, a, a uh, a change of direction in terms of what we were doing from uh, from a pandemic standpoint, uh, and so that's what prompted me to really start focusing on uh, on how the data for um, for the for the pandemic um, um, you know sort of over you know overlaid that with uh, with polling data and trying to understand if the pandemic was you know was playing a role, um, and that's how um, I think you and I you know started. Uh, interacting, I think I was uh, I was pestering you and you were, um, you know, replying in, uh, to to things that you you know you were posting at the time, uh, and I think that's how we ultimately ended up uh, you know, connecting. Um, there's you know there's a lot that we can talk about here. The you know, from a domestic standpoint, um, you know, it's pretty obvious that that the 
uh, you know, that the pandemic, can you still hear me? Yep. Doing great. Oh. Sorry. I think, I think I, I lost my, can you still hear me? There you go. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, the most obvious, the most obvious way that the, that the 2020 election was, uh, was impacted by the pandemic was obviously that Trump was diagnosed with COVID-19 in, you know, in a very critical period heading into the, into the actual, um, into the actual elections. Uh, you know, that, as if memory serves me, that was sometime around early October. Um, and then about two weeks later, we learned that it wasn't just Trump, that there were several people in his inner circle, including his campaign manager um, and a lot of his surrogates that ended up getting COVID and sidelined during that time. So there was, you know, so there's a, there was a direct, um, you know, a direct inf- uh, impact of the, you know, of the, of the, of the pandemic and the, and the policies that, you know, that were frankly failing, not just, you know, not just, uh, you know, not just the white house, but, you know, the, the country as a whole. Um, but it really sort of came to, came to the fore, uh, at a very critical time for, um, you know, for, for the campaign. Um, then beyond that, there's, you know, there's been, um, you know, there, there was actually even more, um, more to it than that when you actually looked at the at the local level um one pattern that i that i saw was that we were always had we always had this sort of bubbling cauldron sort of uh hot spots going on and we still we still do to to, to a great extent um but at the time uh around the time of the november 2020 elections the hottest hot spots are, were coming up uh, precisely where Trump didn't need them to come up is really what it boils down to. And when um, in states like, uh, like Georgia, Pennsylvania, um, and, and even parts of, uh, of Texas, um, what's interesting when you actually zoom into the county level, though, is that, is that for the most part, um, the, the hotspot areas that were predominantly white, so if, you know, you think central Pennsylvania, the Atlanta suburbs, generally favored Biden, whereas those that were predominantly uh, Latino, like in South, uh, in South Texas, generally favored Trump. Now, you know, any, you know, any data scientist worth their salt, regardless of, of, uh, of the field, whether it's, da- you know, health data or political data, um, you know, will tell you that uh, correlation does not equals causation. And clearly there's, you know, there's a lot more that, that's going on there than just, uh, you know, than just COVID. Um, but it's one of those things that um, one of those sort of trends or patterns that 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 point to uh, to to the reality of not just the 2020 election, but as we think about 2022 and even 2024, um, that the pandemic does play a role, um, in, you know, does interface with, you know, with how people how people think things are going. Um, and we can sort of pull on that thread or. Or talk even about uh, foreign policy and how um, how Putin has been has been actually very effective in 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 waging vaccine diplomacy and and uh, and ingratiating himself and uh, and his um, and his foreign policy goals in in our own backyard in in Mexico and in and in parts of Latin America and other parts of Latin America. So there's you know there's a lot to um, to, to to discuss. Um, sort of depends on. On what folks want to hear about. So let me do this. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk a little bit about specifically how uh, this was done in real time on on the Lincoln Project and and when we met. Um, before I do um, go into this diatribe, though, just a quick reminder: if you do have any questions, um, you can uh, push uh, up on your on the app there. Touch up on the app. We'll put you into the queue and we'll start answering questions um, in the order that they come in. But I want to take you all back um, briefly for a moment to um, early spring of 2020 when there was this real uh, split that started to emanate politically, when the virus really started to become politicized. And red states were were choosing to do kind of nothing about it, and blue states were kind of going into these rather strict lockdowns, uh, California and New York specifically. Uh, on my data team, which was a big uh, part of my responsibility with the, the Lincoln Project, 
we started to notice something that uh, really no one had ever done on a campaign before, and that was because we've never done a campaign in the midst of a pandemic before, at least not since 1917, 18 in a meaningful way uh, where there was data to track. And what we found was that as there were virus spikes, even in red parts of the country, Trump's approval ratings would go down, which was a sign to us that there was this hesitancy. There was this weakness in the Republican base, um, even in very red states and what we wanted to do was was try something very unique uh, that had never been done before, and it, it worked out actually really, really successfully. This is one of the untold success stories of the Lincoln Project, and people are going to hear from it hear about it the first time for the first time right now. And that is this: we incorporated a strategy called buying into the spike, and it sounds a little bit macabre, but what we what we found was with some of our data guys was that we knew at this time that there was basically this kind of two-week, I don't know what you would call it scientifically, doctor, but it was kind of this two-week gestation period of the virus uh, where we would see large numbers of cases being reported. And whenever we saw cases above the national average being reported in an area, we knew that there would there would be a commensurate spike in infections and in illnesses within the next 10 to 12 days. And then what would happen would, would be hospitals would start overflowing. And then unfortunately, about a week after that, we would start seeing deaths. Now, each one of these uh, phases of the virus, we started to literally start spending money into this program. I know this sounds probably a little bit macabre, but it was also we would be derelict in our duty if we weren't doing this. And we would literally, what we called buying into the spike, we would start advertising with certain messaging into communities about the coronavirus as those numbers increased above the national average. And when they did, we started to see Trump's numbers start to drop precipitously. And then we would message 10, 12 days later, same area, same demographic, about the problems in hospitals, and then lo and behold, the hospitals would start overflowing because the science was telling us this was going to happen, and then Trump's numbers would drop even lower, and then third, deaths, of course, would result, and we would, we would, we would message around the unnecessary deaths that were happening. And what that did was it really brought down Trump's support levels, specifically when we first started testing, specifically in two states, one Florida and the other in Arizona. And I don't know if, if everybody remembers, but this is when DeSantis kind of first started coming onto the scene and saying, we're not going to do anything. You know, we're going to kind of have this herd immunity strategy. There was a uh, spring, as I mentioned, the spring break stuff was happening in, in, um, in, um, uh, South Florida, um, he kind of opened up the state. Um, Disney World um, stayed open. Uh, Ducey in Arizona, governor in Arizona, adopts a similar strategy, older population. Um, and we started to see, lo and behold, these, these numbers start to spike up. And when we saw these pressure points start to drop, when we saw Trump's numbers dropping, as the virus started to spread and make people sick and unfortunately kill people, we realized that there was a threshold of Republican voters where we could peel off just enough voters to actually win and impact the race in critical states. So that, that was a big part of our strategy in states like Arizona, which ultimately we won by just enough, by, by pushing that Republican number just enough. We did spend a lot very aggressively in, in Florida, even though uh, the numbers didn't show that it was really in striking range. The, the the key to Florida is recognizing that if we had won Florida, there was no mathematical way Trump could win the presidency. So you've got to take that shot. And then we bought a lot heavily into Wisconsin, which was really on fire with COVID in the last two weeks of the election. And people really don't understand how much that impacted the outcome of the race. Um, yeah, because I was going to say Wisconsin was was a raging you know, a raging inferno of of, uh, of COVID of at that corona. point, and, and and it was, you know, it was, um, yeah, as you said, I mean, it was. Not only was it uh, was it spiking, it was just sort of this prolonged surge upon, almost like a surge upon surge in Wisconsin. Um, that, uh, as I recall, 
You're, you're exactly right, and I and I hate to to you know. Again, it's tough to talk about it because the, of of the tragic nature of what was happening with this virus. But had that not happened, um, the outcome of Wisconsin uh, could have could have been very different. Um, tr- Trump demographically was positioned to win Wisconsin. His inability to to do basic public health and take basic public health measures is really an untold story of the 2020 election cycle because at any point had he pivoted and said, okay, I was wrong, wear a mask, socially distance, and let's get that vaccine out. Um, there's nothing wrong with the vaccine. I, as somebody who spent $30 million you know, to, to my key demographics trying to beat him, will tell you there is a very good chance he would have won re-election. Yeah, I the you know the mention of uh, of Arizona is a uh, it's you know it's it's very um, it's also top of mind for me because there was uh, as I recall a lot of the a lot of the shift happened in in Maricopa County right um, uh, correct me if I'm wrong nope uh, you're right you're right that's where we're putting all our money Maricopa yeah and so right around that time Maricopa was actually um, so Maricopa was 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 both sort of reeling from 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 what it, from an earlier wave but at the same time there was this palpable frustration that Ducey was just not getting the job done uh and at the same time there were um there were very uh well covered by local media there was there was a lot of conflict between um, between the local government, uh, I forget um, the mayor's name, uh, Mayor, um, I forget her name, but um, but she was fighting for uh, for FEMA to essentially stick around and help with with more of the um, of the response effort in Phoenix, and and Ducey was more or less sort of deferring to to whatever Trump wanted to do and that was um and that was not in October that was earlier that was in late summer and from that point forward it became pretty clear that they were setting themselves up for you know for a another surge heading into um heading into the elections so what was what's interesting is that um is that for as much, um, you know, for as much as, as Biden has done to, you know, to, you know, to sort of right the ship, um, there's, you know, there's data that shows that that voters are still um, are, are are essentially still going to to you know to blame whoever's in charge at the time, um, and we, you know, we can see that in his approval ratings back in in July of um of uh 2021 as um as the as the white house was preparing to do a uh, a pretty big july 4th celebration i think his um looking at data right now at least uh, the reuters um ipsos poll had him at around 54 percent approval 40 percent uh disapproval so he was you know net positive fast forward to a to a month later when the you know when when the reality of of uh of delta variant really sort of um came to you know came to the fore and and biden's numbers essentially just you know e- uh equalized so he was sort of fluctuating between uh 49 46 percent approval disapproval and they were just sort of flipping for a while and he sort of lingered there for uh for most of the rest of you know of uh of the year until omicron and in mid December, you see his, you know, his disapproval numbers just skyrocket, and he hasn't recovered since. So, um, so his disapproval numbers went, you know, above fifty. His approval numbers went below fifty, um, and and they just sort of keep um, keep uh, diverging ever since. So, whether you, you know, whether we, you know, um, you know, whether we want to admit admit it or not, I think it is important to recognize that. Um, that in one way, shape, or form, the pandemic is either directly or indirectly shaping how um, how voters perceive uh, how they're you know uh, how well they're doing. So, but that 
you know, that, that, uh, that question, you know, are you better off today than you were, you know, X, you know, X number of years ago? Um, I think, you know, I think that's really what, you know, what we're talking about here is that, you know, is that folks feel like, you know, things are better, but maybe not as, as well as they had hoped. Um, and, you know, and as we, you know, as we talk about, uh, about the, the November midterms, I think it's important, you know, for everyone to, you know, to approach it. And the reason I'm having this conversation now is because um, I just don't get the sense that, you know, that, uh, that the, that folks really understand that, that the pandemic is influencing so many things that, you know, that, uh, um, that, that people want to do or feel like they need to do, um, but can't do. Um, and it's simple things like uh, being able to go to the grocery store and not spend fifty, you know, a uh, hundred dollars for fifty dollars worth of groceries. Um, that is tied directly back to the pandemic and, and supply chain constraints and um, and you know and just availability of of raw materials. Um, just traveling to to a wedding is going to be far more expensive this summer, and 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 that has to do largely be largely uh, has largely to do with um, with the CDC's decision to to relax mitigation uh, or you know or COVID safety measures um, for you know for travelers, and and how that's translated and directly translated into massive sickouts in 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 several uh, U.S. airline carriers. Um, you know the biggest one in the news right now is is uh, is Delta. They've you know they've canceled hundreds of flights uh, in the you know per day over the last few days and over something like over uh, don't quote me on this but eight to nine thousand flights is is what I last read over um, you know over the over the last few months. So um, so it's both the the little things like just being able to put food on the table. Um, uh, all the way up to you know, well, the big things like putting food on the table to the little things like being able to get away for, you know, for a family vacation or finally you know being able to you know to get out of the house. Um, you know, the other way that it factors in is also um, that we you know as much as most of the country has sort of moved on from the pandemic, and make no mistake about it. I mean, there there are there are tens of millions of families that that have still sort of hunkered down. Uh, and have been hunkered down for uh, for several months, waiting for their turn. Because um, we have about 20 million uh, children that have not been eligible for um, for vaccination, and because of the messaging, uh, the way that the messaging has you know has been sort of um, uh, muddied, um, functionally, it's closer to 24, 25 million that have been uh, sitting and waiting. So those kids have parents right and those parents are tired of being stuck at home and 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 last week's fda um emergency use authorization uh advisory committee meeting really really drilled home the point that there were a lot of frustrated parents that were um that wanted answers why you know why are they still waiting why the the science seems to be there why why the delay um and now that's you know and that's sort of working itself out, but it remains to be seen how much of you know how much of um, uh, how much are voters going to be willing to say you know by, let, let bygones be bygones uh, heading into into November, and how is that um, and how are the policies that we have in place now um, going to um, you know going to ensure that come November, uh, we, we're not facing another national, uh, you know, surge of, of cases that, um, you know, that may uh, play out in the same way that, uh, that things played out in, in 2020. You're listening to Mike Drop here on the call-in app. If you have any questions uh, and are in the chat room right now, go ahead um, and signal on your app that you want to jump up on stage or go ahead and send uh, any questions that you have. Uh, in a written format, if you'd rather uh, communicate that way, Doctor, you said uh, you said a lot there, and I want, there's a lot that I want to unpack. Um, the first is kind of my own experience for the first time 
um, going to a restaurant, not only realizing how expensive it is to eat out, and it's expensive to have groceries. Life is just, it's just, it's expensive just across the board. Everything is more expensive and everybody at every income level is feeling the impacts of this inflationary cycle, which is global, of course. Uh, you're seeing numbers, uh, inflationary numbers just through the roof uh, in Britain right now. Europe's starting to, to hit it. Uh, Russia, of course, is not helping by design, trying uh, to, to worsen the geopolitical uh, situation. Um, but, but you said something also that was really important, and I really need people to understand this because it's absolutely true. You, all politicians, regardless of your political persuasion, regardless of your, the party label that you, you know, you're holding office under, you get a small honeymoon. And those honeymoons are getting shorter and shorter, by the way, as people's attention spans are getting shorter and shorter, um, where you get to blame um, the other party um, for the problems that you've inherited. But you have to remember that basically when you're elected, it's no different than being hired to solve a problem. And after a period of time, that problem becomes your problem. And the last thing, the absolute last thing that voters want to hear is that it was the previous guy's fault. That's not the way voter psychology works. That's not the way people, whether it's true or not, it doesn't matter. People aren't hiring you to, to do a job to say, well, it's, it's nothing we could do about it because that's, that's not why they're hiring you. They don't, they don't ultimately care about what the cause was. They don't ultimately care about what the reasons or the rationale is. What they care about is you solving the problem and whether or not you were capable or able or are solving the problem. And that's a big, big part of what is underscoring a lot of the challenges that Joe Biden has at this point in time. I'm not saying all of them. I think there's a, a number of reasons why. But there's no question that the administration at this point does not enjoy support amongst the broader public in terms of handling this situation. He does. He does. This is very important. I've seen a lot of polling on this. He does get higher marks than Republicans for handling it. There is, of course, a very strong partisan split. But it's not – these are not high enough numbers to give people the confidence to say that this thing is over. And so with that, I'm going to ask you, uh, Dr. Caballero, can you tell us generally where, where we're at now with the pandemic? What, where, where do things stand a couple, two and a half years into this thing? Um, are, are things better? Are they worse? Are they going to spike up? Where are we at with vaccines? I mean just generally, what's the prognosis because – this is going to color the, the minds of voters on the direction of the country and whether we're in the right track or wrong direction. And that is going to either sour or enhance voter sentiment when they head into the ballot box in November. So where are things at? Well, I mean, that's a, that's a really big question, um, Mike. Um, but, and, and, and honestly, I, I, I hate to be that, um, you know, I hate to be that guest that, uh, you know, that doesn't offer a clear answer. Um, but, um, you know, but I don't know. I don't think any of us know how long this thing's going to go because a pandemic is by definition a global phenomenon. And we're not going to get through this just by, you know, just by, um, you know, just by taking care of, um, you know, of, of our affairs and, and uh, you know, and, and pretending to, to move on. Um we took one approach. New Zealand took a different approach. China took a very different approach. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not here to advocate for anything close to what, you know, to to, to what China did. I, I don't think that's feasible. I don't think it's sustainable. But even they suffered, you know, major setbacks recently. So we can't, you know, we we know that uh, that uh, this virus will humble us whenever we think we have the upper hand. Um, you know, that being said. Uh, I, you know, I, I think that we're closer to 80% through this thing than, you know, than not. Um, but there's that 80, 20 rule, right? The, the 20, the last 20% is going to be really hard to, you know, to, uh, to bridge. And what that means for us as, as a country is going to be making sure that, um, that we reset expectations in terms of, um, our social contract with each other, uh, you know, we, we should agree that, you know, that, uh, you know, that we're, that in order to move on, we, we need to, to have the, 
you know, the majority of the country vaccinated, um, you know, for starters. Um, and then we do need to invest in um, in a next generation of vaccines. Not, I'm not talking about tweaking the variant, which is which is what um, you know what uh, what gets most of the of the press right now. I'm talking about um, things like intranasal vaccines, and the reason that's important is because the the virus gets in through our nose primarily. Um, so. In order to to stop the you know the, the chains of transmission, we we need to to have uh, vaccines that um, that stop the virus in its track in its tracks, and 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 that's where um, where intranasal vaccines are probably going to be um, not just helpful, but but probably necessary as we you know as we think about how do we actually move beyond this. Um, other than you know, other than that. Uh, it, it's it's really just you know it really is just going to be uh, a matter of of uh, of committing to a strategy and 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 socializing that strategy with everyone uh, and and really selling the public on 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 what it is that we intend to do as a country to move forward uh, and 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 just do it. Part of the problem in my in my estimation with um, with uh, you know with Biden's response has nothing to do with um, with the logistics of actually getting vaccinations out. Although you know they, I, I do have some criticisms, but but by and far it you know they got the job done. They 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 they're, they're getting the job done right. But um, but the problem is is just sort of the shifting expectations and and, and lack of clarity around um, around where we are in the pandemic and um and to put a really fine point on it they're overselling the progress and under delivering and and in a way that they can't they can't deliver um just when you look at the data and you look at the science it's it was foolish of them you know for them to say you know enjoy your 4th of July in 2021 you know if you've got your vaccine you don't have to worry about delta variant at that time, there was already enough data from uh, from the UK, from Israel, from uh, from several other countries showing that we really should have, you know, should have been messaging that very, very differently. Um, and as we head into uh, as we head into the rest of this year, um, I do believe that it's really important that that they celebrate um, milestones and, and and small victories, but. Um, but this particular, you know, but but they just have a tendency to sort of over um, oversell the progress in a way that I don't think is is helpful for them um, politically because the you know sort of the, the approval rating tanks every time they you know they they don't uh, they don't deliver. Um, but also from a public health standpoint, the longer that we um, that we pretend that we're doing better than, than we are, the longer it takes for us to really do what we need to do. I'm not saying lock things down. I'm not saying shut things down. I'm not saying, you know, put a mask on everybody, you know, for for the rest of the year. But I am saying we're going to need to, you know, to, to, to get most folks vaccinated and we need to we need to talk about uh, about mask wearing in certain contexts until we get until we get to, to to a critical threshold in terms of of um, the percentage of the population that's you know that's vaccinated, um, but that's not a conversation that's really been had by anyone. If you you know Trump failed miserably at this, and 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 Biden sort of started with that initially, but he you know but um, but he but he never really followed through, and then um, and then the Virginia elections happened, and they you know, they they really went um, sort of in reverse in terms of. Uh, in terms of uh, COVID safety measures, uh, in a way that was rather unexpected, uh, f- from my point of view, um, and we've sort of been—it um, feels like like they've been sort of ped- uh, sort of spinning their wheels um, in an in an odd way uh, ever since. Um, yeah, there, you know, there's a lot that we can talk about here, but at the end of the day, what it boils down to is we got to get more folks vaccinated, and between now and the time that we get to that point. Um, it's really up to us and and we'll have to layer on uh other mitigation factors to to get there um i'm not you know i'm not going i'm going to take my own advice and not promise you that we're going to be done by the end of this year or you know by the end of next year 
Um, but what I'll say is that when we are done, the, the sort of the, that moment that we feel that things are sort of, you know, back to, a, uh, to normal or, or a new normal is really up to us. It really is up to us. And so what does that mean heading into the midterms? Where are things, what oh, does that mean? That means they should, I, yeah, I don't, yeah, I would, I don't know, you know, if, uh, if they're going to listen to us, but my, my advice to them would be to, Hey, Start thinking about setting proper expectations because you don't know what's going to happen between now and then. There's, it's quite possible that these uh, latest variants, the B4 and B5, or you know, there's B.4, B.5 out there, are, are going to 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 make rounds in the uh, around the U.S. And what I'm seeing in the data right now is is sort of a almost like a whack-a-mole uh, situation with the um, with the with the variants where folks that got Delta variant uh, generally didn't, you know, didn't participate in the Omicron, very, uh, the Omicron wave initially, they sort of participated in it towards the end. And the folks that produced that, that got Omicron early on um, are the folks that, you know, that, uh, that ended up getting um, one of the variants more recently in the last, in the last four weeks or so. And, and so we're now starting to sort of see the staggered, uh, you know, st- staggered surges that are, aren't as as uh, as pronounced, but still knock people out. And that's what's translating into um, into sick outs like what we're seeing uh, for uh, for Delta Airlines, as an example. Um, just today, there was a you know, there was something circulating on Twitter from from the Washington Post, you know, chief human resources officer, you know, it was like a, a an internal note, um, you know, fairly passive aggressive, getting people, trying to get people back into the office. Um, but it, uh, you know, it sort of overlooks the fact that, you know, when you look at the data for the DC area, um, Maryland, DC, Virginia, they're, they're in some, they've been in some sort of phase of a, uh, of a, of a way for the last, four weeks or so they're barely cresting or, you know, they're barely peaking in, uh, in Maryland, the de- the reporting out of DC is, 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 um, has, has, uh, you know, it's not good anymore is really what it boils down to. And then from Virginia, it, you know, it's, it just sort of paints this picture that, um, that we are, we're not really setting, you know, setting ourselves up for, for success in, uh, in November, my concern is that we are probably going to end up in a situation where there's going to be a surge heading into the, the elections. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, okay, that's, I mean, set that, that's, wow. It, it, that, that's really important here, and this is why. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw some numbers into the mix here. Uh, Harvard-Harris poll, very reliable uh, poll that comes out, um, came out in late May. So not terribly new, but um, on the COVID Issues said, I think it's probably pretty fresh, and it's something that I would consider reliable. Um, Biden's handling of COVID is the only, only thing where uh, he gets a majority of voter support, and even then, it's quite tepid. So, real, real quick rundown of the numbers: Biden's overall approval rating sitting at forty-one percent in this survey. Okay, that's that's a pretty consistent range. Um, with just his his you know right direction wrong track, do you approve or disapprove of how he's doing? Forty one percent approve, only thirty five percent approve of Biden's handling of the economy. Forty four percent approve of his efforts to stimulate job growth, and only thirty three percent approve of his handling of inflation. Thirty eight percent of respondents say they support his handling of immigration. And approval rating on foreign affairs sits at 40%. These are not good numbers. However, 52% of registered voters say they approve of his handling of COVID-19. This is the lone bright spot in the survey for the White House. 52 is not a strong number, but you got to look for bright spots where you can find them. This is the one area where his head is above water. And when you start to tell me stuff like, yeah. uh, we, may be, so we may be heading yeah. into a surge. If we're heading into a surge heading into November... That's got to be some red flags we got to be paying attention to. Well, the, you know, my concern, and this is based on my observation of how the, you know, how the White House sort of handles these sort of, uh, you know, these sort of polling, uh, poll findings, is that, and I'm, I'm going to 
I'm going to predict on uh, predict right now. Over the next three to four weeks, he is going to enjoy a a surge in support, um, you know, a, a polling boost, and hopefully we get a poll that actually looks at his handling of the pandemic. And I, um, I'm I'm willing to you know to to to, to put a, a beer or coffee on it, and say that I bet you that it's going to be driven by an. Uh, a marked increase in his handling of the pandemic. That's going to be the effect of the um, of the uh, relief valve that you know that's being um, you know that's being opened right now with uh, with kids under five. Uh, now, how long that lasts and how you know how they either capitalize on it or don't um, is really you know is really the the open question. Uh, and if they do what they've been doing before, which is to say aha, you know, you know, th- you know, things are, you know, things are better. We've done a you know, great job. You know, let's take a victory lap and, um, and, uh, and talk about uh, low unemployment and, and everything that we're doing, um, you know, everything else that we're doing to, you know, to, to try to uh, address concerns. They are going to be setting themselves, themselves up for, um, they're going to be walking into that surge um, because we can't, we just, we, we cannot, uh, we cannot bank on the uh, on children being sort of a being a a firewall for a for a larger surge. That's just not the way that this pandemic has played out. So long as there um, there are pockets of susceptible uh, people, um, you're gonna have hotspots and if there are enough of those hotspots clustered together you have these larger hotspots that then spread to you know to national uh to national surges if i were them i would start talking about uh about boosters uh about boosters for folks under 50 now so that by november whatever surge may you know may come to pass is generally mild and doesn't translate into um into doctors going on social media and 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 sharing their you know their horror stories of of their hospitals being being uh, filled to capacity and you don't have uh, yet another holiday season right um you don't have kids uh you know sick for halloween and parents out for halloween and um and flights delayed um, or flights prohibitively expensive uh, as folks start planning for for Thanksgiving. That you know that is you know that's that's where my concern lies right now. From a you know it, it, and and I don't you know I, I I don't like to think think about things entirely you know from a, you know from a health you know from a public health or political perspective. But you know but right now these these things are one and the same right i mean the goals are actually the same if we can get enough people to um you know to to be protected from uh from develop you know from getting covid in the first place from uh from getting so sick from covid that they end up in the hospital uh or or dying um then you know then everything else falls into place uh things aren't uh flights aren't as hard to find um people are able to put food on the table kids are able to stay in school um so i think you know i think in this particular case it makes you know it makes sense to you know to really think about this with you know with uh you know approach you know with a you know with a sober perspective that you know this is what we're dealing with yeah yeah um so we're we're bumping into forty five minutes on this call. I know your time is is valuable. Uh, I'm going to ask listeners uh, who may be here to uh, bring in your questions related to this or any other topic. Um, and if if we don't, that's okay too. We'll just go ahead and um, kind of uh, talk amongst ourselves. But I do want to broaden the discussion. I do want to broaden the discussion if it's okay, Doctor, to just uh, the general political situation because you are while you are a brilliant physician. And you are really, really good at, at, at taking very complex data sets and explaining them in clear terms. Uh, you are also, amongst other things, a pretty astute political observer of, of just kind of the, the general dynamics of what's happening, uh, both with the mood of the electorate and with, dyna- with, uh, with, with campaign dynamics as well. So uh, I'm just going to ask you, you know, what's your sense of 
what the control of Congress is going to look like in November? How do you think things are going? Um, I mean, I'm I'm thinking that we need to really focus on on what we're um, on what we're telling Latino voters, um, especially um, in you know in South Texas. I think we need to figure out what the message is because right now, um, you know, when um, when you look at um, uh, when you look at you know at these at these uh, runoffs and the special election, there's a real you know there's a real disconnect between uh, between what the what the democ what the democratic consultants and strategists uh, sort of um, promote as being sort of the takeaways of these elections and how they apply to the national uh, you know to to the national picture um, and you know as you know how transferable or how you know how uh, applicable or generalizable those lessons actually are um, you the not only not only are are uh, is the Latino vote in, in South Texas very different than the Latino vote in in California the way that the pandemic has been handled in in, in California is very different than the way that it's been handled in Texas so very different from what it's you know from the way that it's been handled in New Mexico or um, or Arizona and I I fear that we are not paying enough attention to 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 the intersection of these uh, you know of these factors and and through a combination of just you know the media trying to you know sort of distill things down into 500 to 1000 words uh articles and just this sort of legacy thinking that uh the latino vote is a latino vote and there's you know it's just this one big monolith um is really um you know is is really complicating um what you know what really boils down to 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 be a must win election i mean we you know we are literally talking about um about democracy american democracy being you know being in the balance here uh you know for any anybody that's not been paying attention to the january 6th hearings it's pretty clear i mean there there was a a conspiracy to overthrow the u.s government by force and the you know the the recurring theme is that there were just enough folks that didn't want to break the 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 letter of the law that the system held but we know that the letter of the law is literally changing across the country in key states as we speak so if that letter of the law isn't the isn't that you know that uh, that backstop that uh, you know that's going to save our democracy this next go around? I I don't know what happens. I don't know what happens to you know to to any of us in in twenty twenty two and then twenty twenty four. Well, how do you, how do you think the January six hearings are going? And do you think they're having I, an impact? I don't know, Mike. You tell me. I hope they're having an impact. I mean, I, I, I as you said, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty in tune with what's going on because, um, be, because there's, um, while I focus on health policy advocacy, there's uh, healthcare. You know, is is sixteen to eighteen percent of our of our GDP. It, it it really touches on a lot of different things, including foreign policy. So so I keep up with a lot of things. But at the end of the day, I, I don't. I mean, what do you think is really what it boils down to? Like, how do we, you know, how do we actually connect? You know, what is, you know, what is a, a an existential threat to democracy, to kitchen, you know, kitchen table issues, which regular voters see as the existential threat. That is the part that I don't, you know. You know, the only thing that I, you know, that I feel I can weigh weigh in on is to just say, you know, somewhere between those kitchen table issues and the existential th- threat to democracy, there's COVID sort of imbuing everything in the conversations that go around it. On the one hand, you've got, um, you know, you've got uh, MAGA world trying to distract from, you know, from from surges and and from the um and the mismanagement of of uh you know this public health emergency and on the other hand uh you've got the um you know you've got uh policies that are working to sort of keep things at bay but at the end of the day i mean 
we can't there's no way that biden can you know can control a global economy and and that's what we're talking about when we're talking about inflation um so one person asked is there a relationship as supported in your data between covid19 positive uh, covid positivity and the consumption of information uh for example um do people consume information through social media apps were they more likely to get sick or if they consume information so that's a really good question there was some work done um uh, if memory serves me, there was work done by uh, Kaiser Family Foundation. If it, again, if memory serves me, and uh, and the 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 upshot of it is that um, that uh, as one might expect, there was actually there was there was more consumption of information, and the and the channels that were um, the sources for COVID nineteen information were more varied. Um, for Democrats than they were for for Republicans. Generally speaking, uh, registered Republicans tended to uh, tended to to get most of their news from their their COVID information from uh, from sources like Fox News, um, uh, you know, Daily, uh, one of the you know, so, and and and, uh, and and more sort of right leaning websites, um, whereas. Uh, and Facebook, uh, whereas Democrats tended to 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 seek and and get their COVID information uh, from uh, from main, uh, from things like mainstream media, like uh, like uh, New York Times, Washington Post, CNN, um, their physicians, uh, Twitter, uh, less less so than than uh, than Facebook. Uh, so there, so there, there is some data around, uh, around, around um, COVID nineteen sources of COVID nineteen information, um, but I, I actually haven't seen a recent study that uh, a recent any recent polling that uh, that looks at that or or looks at how that uh, how that has changed over time. Um, that's a really good question. Um, I'll I'll make a note to to see if um see if I can look up some more uh, some more sources maybe somebody else is doing that work now, and then I remember seeing another one yeah given the reported COVID nineteen uh, health disparities infections in communities uh, communities of color especially in Texas it's uh, it's surprising to hear that Trump was favored in some of those communities such as South Texas Trump won Texas but uh, to what extent did his support in those communities change leading up to the election that's a really great question. Um, and this is where I, where it gets really muddy, like the, the water gets really muddy because the area, the communities in the Rio Grande Valley uh, suffered tremendously under the, under the, the COVID uh, policies of the, of the Trump administration. Um, they would keep me up at night, just sort of seeing the numbers and, and seeing sort of the breadth and scope of, of, of infections and deaths in those communities um, is, is something that, um, is something that you know that uh, that at some point will make it into into history books. People just don't understand how how bad things got uh, in in that part of the country. Um, but that said, in the days or weeks leading into the twenty twenty election, uh, the Biden campaign seems to have made a a, a, a strategic a big strategic error by by focusing their messaging um on um essentially put in, uh attacking big oil which was um which as i understood it was sort of a bridge too far or, or was even sort of more of a concern at that point for uh for latino voters in that part of texas because the the oil industry is such a big um uh you know such a big employer there that um, if and I'm and I would love for for Mike to to you know, to, to chime in uh, if he can, um, but um, I would venture to guess that there was that there was a, a sort of a one-two punch of um, of COVID sort of starting to clear around uh, around the time of the election, and then you've got uh, this you know, sort of stra- strategic messaging and policy blunder um, that uh, you know that directly attacked um or, or or directly threatened uh kitchen table issues that um you know that uh, that these communities were uh were were you know were were mostly focused on at that point in time and if memory serves me 
there was even a moment in the in one of the either the penultimate or the or the last uh, debate heading into uh, heading into the actual into actual election day, where Biden was asked to clarify his comments about um, about uh, the oil industry and uh, and he more or less repeated what he had you know what he'd said on the campaign trail and uh, and then Trump uh, sort of um, jumped on that and said, essentially just repeated what, you know, what Biden said. And so, so, you know, he, he said something like, so you, what you're saying is that you are going to, he sort of reframed it in a way of to, to sort of highlight the fact that, that his policies would threaten jobs in, 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 um, in, in South Texas. And so it's really hard uh, for me as a, you know, as a, as a health data scientist to really say, what was you know what you know how how were these two things uh uh sort of teased out uh and which you know which which drove the the outcome there um but i i'd venture to, to to guess that uh that both played a role in um in different you know in and it pulled folks in different directions but at the end of the day uh the you know sort of the threat to someone's livelihood is is uh, is probably going to to win out or almost always wins out is, is my guess. I think, look, you answered it exactly right. And I think that, you know, a lot of left-leaning, center-left Democratic voters or people watching the race, looking at it through a Democratic lens, were kind of shocked and saying, how can you have this health, public health issue burning through the Rio Grande Valley and making people sick and killing people at these rates? How can you then, you know, vote in this direction and um, and the answer is exactly what the good doctor just mentioned, which is it's the perfect case study of balancing people who um, whose livelihood, whose very livelihood, existence, communities and economy are built around these industries versus um, this issue that, at least for the moment, was viewed as temporary um, and and was was, in fact, literally killing people Um we can say whatever we want to, but the outcome is what the outcome is, is we, we need to step back and learn something and listen um, about what is driving voter behavior without imparting our own views on it. That's really hard data when people are actually giving a vote result. It's telling you something very concrete. It's not abstract like a poll. It's not insinuating like a quote unquote expert might, you know, uh, guess at. They are literally telling you this is my choice, and you have to respect that if you want to kind of earn uh, that vote going forward. So, a great, great question. Um, yeah, and just to, to sort of tie the, those two questions that were in the you know, in the uh, chat together, um, the role of misinformation, uh, COVID misinformation, in the outcome of the of the um, of the 2020 campaign cannot be under, you know, cannot be overstated. There was a lot of misinformation uh, that um, that in many ways sort of um, passed the buck for the, you know, for for you know for you know for what was actually happening. Um, it, you know, it, it's hard to believe that you know that it can be that powerful, but when all you're seeing is you know, this is inevitable. This was not, you know, we did every, you know, uh, everything was done that was possible. And, and that's all you're hearing, all you're hearing um, in, uh, on social media uh, and on the radio and then on Fox news. Like when the entire, um, you know, when the entire uh, eco chamber of, uh, of media that, that someone consumes or an entire community consumes is reinforcing this notion that, it's just like the flu. It's not like the flu. Um, that um, that everything that could have been done was done. That's not true either. Um, that um, that um, that you know that uh, it was you know it's just going to come to pass. It didn't come to pass. But when all you're hearing is that, it it really does serve to sort of shift the. Um, sort of the burden of responsibility from the person making the policies from the person making the policies to some, this sort of amorphous concept of this virus that's just you know doing what it does um 
And so that's, you know, that, that needs to be, I think, you know, focused on as well, that, um, that there was a lot of money spent by, you know, by Republicans convincing people in, uh, in hard hit areas that, um, that COVID wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't Trump's fault is really what it boils down to. Yeah, I think well, I I don't know what historians are going to say when they look back on this this era, but I think the, these examples, especially in some of the reddest areas, hit the hardest by COVID, and seeing kind of the voting outcomes, it just speaks to just how powerful um, these information misinformation uh, structures and methods are, and the impact that they're having. Um, doctor, it's it's we're past the six o'clock hour here uh, in the California time zone. I want to thank you for giving us some of your time. Um, I know you're very responsive, especially on Twitter. Um, so if any other questions do come up, if it's okay to just have people ask you specifically, go reach out to you and find you there. I know your Twitter handle is at data driven MD. It's the perfect Twitter handle for you. Um, thank you so much for <laughs> joining us yeah, today. And me. yeah, there's been really insightful discussion for me and actually to hear um, just the approach, um, it's just so, so important and to recognize not only is this not over, but it's going to have impacts in the November election. So thank you again for, for joining us. Yeah. Thank you so much again for having me. And, um, and thanks to everybody that, that, that joined in. Thanks for joining us guys. We'll go ahead and get these edits. We'll post it up and, um, appreciate you joining us, uh, Wednesday night on mic drop. We'll talk again next week.